Hi and welcome to the latest episode of the Glenvor podcast with your host JJ or Jason. Welcome to season four, episode one. Uh, for no particular reason, we're kicking off a new season simply because I think we hit 20 on last season and that's probably far enough. So uh, we'll move on, start afresh and we have two entries on the website to talk about today. So I hope you are keeping well and um, if you're settling down to this podcast with a dram, then sincerely hope you're enjoying what you have in front of you or if you're fortunate to be having a, a Glenvor then um, you know you're accompanying it with the, the right uh, audio um, perspective and uh, maybe visually looking at the website and in, it, in, in it's all its glory I suppose I've had uh, some cool comments recently I think we even had um, one of these secondary retailers use uh, some of the information on one of their promo mailings about Glenvor and um, credited an image uh, to the website but you know the image actually came from the DRGO archives as I've clearly stated but anyway uh, it's all good um, if it you know perks people interest in a distillery of the past and shows people that there is a bit of a resource out there to explore and to learn some more so that was good and of course we've had a, a wee nod um, uh, on whiskey fun as well at the end of an article which is great uh, and hopefully we might have uh, another uh, sort of uh, one further along the line um, if they um, review some of the Glenvors I've supplied to them. So all good, all moving forward. Um, <clears throat> there is no grand master plan. Um, we really are letting the discoveries uh, dictate how things are and uh, updating the website weekly, which sort of fits in with my hectic uh, situation at the moment. And um, <clears throat> eventually, I suppose, you know, the website's going to scale down and go, you know, uh, fortnightly. Then maybe even monthly and then it's just a case of when things are found but uh, you know I think that's further down the pipeline maybe uh, next year but um, yeah, I think there's more Glenvor to go out there um, certainly if we get to the, the Glasgow archive and um, permitted to really have a good rummage in there I would um, like to bring almost a, a whole new perspective uh, to the website from not the customs and excise or the newspapers or what we can unearth but purely from the ownership you know which would be a, a very unique perspective again and you put all those different views and um, angles together and I think you have the definitive history of a lost website uh, until I get my uh, finger out and crack on with Glenolben and, and try and um, you know do the same job as that and Milburn further down the line but Milburn I think is going to be a tough one but you know I th everybody thought Glenvore was going to be tough and where have we got but anyway we've got two entries in the logbook today uh, we are going to be looking at uh, the 10th of November 1947 <coughs> apologies I have a bit of a cough um, and uh, we have two new warehouses at Glenvore um, which was a great discovery, but certainly one uh, I had an inkling about, but we'll come to that. Anyway, we'll start with the uh, logbook entry, um, as I said, from November. Um, it's not dated, however, I mean, that is unusual, as we've said in the article itself, which I will link below, but generally we can figure out when these articles were, because obviously they're in date order, um, the entries in the book, but also sometimes they make reference to an event on Thursday, blah, the 20th of April or something, you know, so we know that. Um, 
on this one we actually have the collector so the next i guess step up in terms of authority and customs and excise actually um, authorizing and noting the date of their authorization which tends to give us you know when roughly this was um and i've made a slight assumption but it's based on how we see these things in the logbook and how long it takes to turn around and to enter things so uh, i think i'm fairly confident we are looking at that 10th 5th november date anyway i'll read it the entry to you sirs i enclose a request received today from messrs mckinley and burnley limited glenvore in Vaness for the spirit pump at their glenvore distillery to be repaired on Friday last, difficulty was experienced in pumping spirits from the spirit receiver to the racking warehouse, the pump working intermittently. So you can obviously imagine that would be backing up uh, production. The pump was opened up and the pump for operating the cam on the motor was found to be broken. Um, I'm trying to think if we have any upgrades to the spirits, uh, etc. Not one comes to mind however we do know that the distillery itself had a lot of upgrades certainly um that are undocumented or we have documented some of them but definitely there was more going on at glenvore than anybody knew beforehand uh and the general assumption was that um some of the expansion planning in the 1890s um was approved but didn't take place to the 1920s but we've shown you know some findings that you know parts of those agreed enhancements did actually go in earlier than expected potentially you know the spirit aspect is uh, one of them when it got an upgrade and there was a lot of upgrades in glenvore um we, we know certainly um that 1920s dates you know there was a lot of activity but also we know that there is uh you know an extra washback that we've never been able to precisely date in terms of when that appeared uh, but we will keep trying you know um there's bound to be some clues somewhere and potentially those management records that i mentioned uh, at the top of the show they might have the answer because obviously it stems from them and we can take it from there but um <clears throat> You know, we we know that the spirit vat itself dated back to the 1890s uh, it was an original um, and it was photographed in the 1950s still being there so potentially if you're putting that together there might not have been a new spirit pump or anything like that I don't know um, would they have used pumps from the off um, potentially you know there was a, a, a lot of um, modern features to Glenvor when it launched in the 1890s. But going back to the actual entry, as the pump is required on Thursday 1st for removing the spirit charge, I permitted its removal for repairs as a matter of urgency. Your obedient servant, GW Petekin officer. So immediately, you know, yes, we've got this issue of the pump. Was it an original? Blah, blah, blah. We're seeing the authority of the exciseman when faced with something, you know, not catastrophic, but certainly this would have been a major feature because how are you actually going to fill the casks without this uh, pump you know there is no alternative uh, could you have sourced one from Glenolben potentially but you know that would have had the knock-on effect maybe of Glenolben so uh, they needed to move quickly and uh, certainly Gilbert worked really well with the Glenvore team to make that happen
Um, I think that's very clear. It also shows us their uh, lineage of work, their week. You know, they might have been you know, fermenting and mashing and distilling up until uh, the Thursday. And the Thursday's the day when they would collect the spirit and put it into the casks. And that's that reminds me of actually a little bit of Balandalic because you can do sort of a day experience at the distillery, which I would recommend. But they say Thursday's the best day because everything takes place on a Thursday. You can see the whole process on a Thursday. So potentially, maybe there's a historical, Alan might comment, uh, you know, there might be a historical aspect to Thursday being the sort of filling day. Who knows? Um, but it's interesting. <clears throat> um, we do have some further entries on this, um, which looks like to be, it's, it's not noted who's making them, but it looks like Peterkin from the handwriting. Work completed and the pump reinstalled. It is as previously bolted solidly to the studs embedded in concrete. The core section is held in position on the main body by a ring of bolts. This is secured by means of a bar hanging on a staple and fitting over the lock staple. Both staples are firmly set in concrete and fits the bar closely. So you're seeing here, obviously the spirit of was of real importance to the excise. You know, they didn't want any accessibility outside of the normal um, agreed processes but also they wanted it to be secure um, for recording and such like so that we, that's why when we do have these changes around things like the spirit safe the uh, stills uh, piping you know they go into great detail to give us exactly what it is that's happened what's been changed and the sort of security features and uh, reassurance, I guess, um, for management. Uh, it goes on against the pump cover. The flange connections to charging and discharge discharge pipes, sorry, as formerly enclosed in satisfactory box fastening, secured with revenue locks. Um, as always, we're very lucky to have Alan Winchester give us his thoughts on this. And uh, I sent this entry, and as usual, he was very kind to give up his time and and give us his uh, opinions on it. Uh, and he says, um, yes, as you can see, quite tight security around the spirit pump with at least a couple of customs locks. The spirit in the stillhouse is collected in an intermediary spirit receiver, ISR. The spirit pump transfers it to the spirit receiver warehouse fat, where the excise and trader would take account of the spirit and reduce the filling strength. So you can probably imagine these were the sorts of rooms you can see in some of the old distilleries where they might have, um, you know, the pump, uh, the huge tank, maybe a little wooden shed type office where they would record everything in the logbook and there'd be a weighing machine, you know, so that sort of environment we're in. The spirit charge valve would be locked when the filling takes place. The ISR allows distillation to carry on while the casks are being filled. I presume the pump would be from a central shaft from the turbine, but we, but we must be close to the advent of pumps being driven directly by an electric motor. So there Alan's picking up on the fact that electricity at Glenvor was provided by that that turbine from day one and that pretty much stayed in place um, although they did have supplementary electricity um, until the 1960s when it was the turbine ended its existence prior to that um, it was uh, doing the switchers uh, in the washbacks that was its last duty and I guess potentially you know some elements of that mechanism and that piping still exist under the quayside at um, the, the locks. It's 
interesting all the security around the pump, but any lack of secure plant often was considered fair game for some staff. So this is Alan, you know, obviously, uh, with his uh, notable experience uh, reminiscing or perhaps of what stories colleagues maybe have told him, you know, uh, if there was a flaw, um, staff will find it in certain cases. But the security was really to stop the company from removal of spirit that's not accounted for. So again, that goes back to the fact the exciseman wants to know every drop produced. Uh, every drop produced is potentially revenue to the crown and they must collect. So I think that was a really, really interesting entry. Um, uh, a potential, you know, a breakdown just gives us a little bit more in terms of how they work, what was needed to be done and that flexibility between uh, distillery management and the government representative. <clears throat> the other entry uh, is a fantastic entry. Um, this is about two new warehouses at Glen 4. My apologies, I had to just quickly go and do something there, but um, these these uh, podcasts are live, uh, almost, you know, they're unedited, you know, there's no, um, shall we say, slickness to them, you know, you get what you get, and I think that is in keeping with Glenvore uh, in terms of some of its single cask releases, so uh, pardon me, um, but um, moving on, uh, recommended this one, I was always perplexed in a way, because obviously we have a lot of imagery around Glenvore now, and photographs, and um, there were these two distinct warehouse looking buildings at the, the I'm trying to get my map my compass in my head here at the southern end of the wet the, the site backing onto the original number one and two warehouse and these did appear 50s 60s we knew that they were there I hadn't really I it's a bit like uh, looking into the um, McKinley family I know I have to do it I know it's there, but I'm holding off because I have enough on my plate. And I knew these warehouses were going to come up when I was ready. And the opportunity did come up. So um, it's a really great article. Um, and I've used some of the images we had to show you these two modern warehouses which sit on the back. Now, these are totally unaccounted for in any uh, whiskey book that I know of. These are not mentioned. There's next to no information about them whatsoever. But um, Alan Winchester, obviously, highlighted an entry in the new statistical account of Scotland in Vernes, Ross and Cromarty. Uh, and at this, they talked about new warehousing at Glenvor. And of course, um, me reading this, I know, I immediately thought, that's those two buildings. Um, so I'll read the entry. At Glenvor, storage space for a third of 285,000 gallons of whiskey, so quite sizable. Uh, was provided in 1959 at the back of the distillery premises, which fits. The back is the southern end. This warehouse has no pillars and consists of a racking system of five tiers of butts in the middle and five tiers of hog heads at the side, with a modern stacker for hoisting the casks into racks. So this is a very modern um, environment for maturing whiskey compared to every other warehouse in Glenalbin and Glenvor. Um, in 1963, the firm also put in an installation costing about £18,000, whereby the stills are heated by steam, and the following year, another bonded warehouse, which cost them about £17,500. So we know the cost of these things. Um, we know that one warehouse became two. 
uh, in quite quick succession. Um, so these are definitely the two buildings um, that appeared uh, at a later date. So, you know, the article says 1959. Is that correct? You know, um, because, you know, some of the images, you go back to the images we have in the 50s and 60s, some of the dates vary and you get a little bit of guesswork, but you think of one that is, you know, round about this time and it does, it just shows the clear sort of nursery arable land at the back of the southern end. So um, is that the right date? Is the book date right? You know, these sorts of things start to spring to mind. And of course the book goes on to mention that Glenalbin had a new warehouse as well uh, installed. So we certainly know whoever's building these um, warehouses were on site for some time and um, there was a great deal of investment into the distillery, which probably touches upon, you know, obviously um, movements in the ownership uh, sphere. But, you know, there's some really big zoomed in pictures of them and they are warehouses. You can see, you know, there's no windows, there's no back entrance. The, they're very unique, in fact, in terms of the only way to get into these warehouses would be to go through the old warehouses. So literally you're having to step into the, the Glenvore original number one warehouse, walk into number two, which was an extension of that warehouse. Um, and then I'm guessing there's some sort of doorway or entranceway into these two new warehouses. So uh, not the most accessible, which reflects the, the site because we have um, residential housing pretty much on the back of those warehouses. We have a little bit of um, wasteland to the left of them and on, on the other side we have you know beginnings of again uh more residential but also the football ground so they are totally you know enclosed um and it makes you wonder how they actually built them in some respects you know um, because they've got a few hurdles to get over there so there's very convoluted access and very i'm very um persistent and tenacious i guess and i you know want to drill things down as much as I can. So um, Dave at the local uh, Inverness History Forum was has been a great resource because he grew up in the area and obviously members of that History Forum remember the, where the distilleries and remember Muirtown as it was, which has totally lost that environment now. But uh, I sent this on to him, you know, and uh, I said, can you add anything? Uh, and what he came back with, I wasn't expecting, but it's fantastic because it just gives us a real sort of first-hand account of these buildings. Um, and I'll just read his quote to you. Uh, At last, you have asked me something that I can actually answer myself. This reflects, I, I tend to ask Dave some Glenvore or Glenolben type things, and he unfortunately can't give me the answer because it's before his time or just ridiculously obscure. But I, I guess that's the great thing about a collective mindset and forum and group. You know, somebody, it might spark a memory in some people uh, and we get an answer in a roundabout way. Uh, although he goes on to say, only a smidgen of info. You know, they're saying you're getting old if you see a building demolished um, that you witness being built. I can agree. Uh, well, that building was my very first in that respect. I am fairly sure the two parts were built at the same time. So again, that's different from the book. And they went up sometime between 1961, again, two years after the book, uh, when I moved to Inverness, and 1966, when we moved to the other end of Bumbers Lane. Uh, and here's the real kicker um, from Dave. My dad was the nursery manager for Howden's Nurseries, and I knew every inch of the land he worked as I was taken on as a gopher event, sorry, ever during the summer holidays, so, so you know, helping around. So 
Dave actually walked this land, his dad worked it, because originally this would have been the nursery land before the warehouses arrived. Most of the time I was deployed in the rose field, bounded um, by the distillery and football ground. The warehouses obviously encroached significantly into the land of Howden's nursery, so I suspect they either bought the land from Howden's, or Howden's was renting the land from the distillery in the first place. I would expect, knowing McKinley and Burnley, they would probably have bought the land. In many respects, I think they're probably a little bit like uh, the way sort of Springbank operates, um, and they're sort of... Um, ethic around you know if land becomes available next to you buy it which explains why they have such a, a chunk of that area of Campbelltown. I suspect though that McKinley and Burnley did buy the land from Howden's. Yeah I think so as well I'd agree. Dan McKinnon the owner. As that area the former Rosefield was developed for housing long before the distillery and football ground were put to the sword. I remember as a kid what they were for, wondering what they were for. There were no windows or doors looking out onto Howden's land at all, just plain white harled or whitewashed walls. Uh, and Dave kindly went on to dig a little bit more and produced a map um, and showed that they were not there in 1959 when the uh, Ordnance Survey did um, do uh, a map of the distillery area, but they were there when they returned and did it in 1962. So that gives us a time frame. Um, so my thanks again to Dave for that insight. You know, it's great to get first-person recollection uh, and that just, it just adds another layer, layer of detail and insight. You know, it brings things a little bit more to life for people. Um, and, you know, quite rightly, you know, this probably was the result of additional funding becoming available to McKinley and Burnley um, because in 1960, DCL acquired a stake in the company. Um, and I think that's rumoured, as I say in the article, to be about 46%. So a sizable amount of money and investment must have come forthcoming. And as part of these upgrades, they, um, I would guess, built these modern warehouses. And DCL would have had the contacts, uh, the engineers, you know, the, those, uh, the knowledge of how to do these modern warehouses. So it's a great find. And, you know, we can say that... Uh, Glenvor has had had two more distilleries, uh, sorry, distilleries warehouses than anyone else thought possible. Um, originally, we thought it was eight, but then it was nine. Um, but towards the end of its lifespan, it became ten buildings and eleven warehouses in total. So, there we go. Uh, as always, thanks for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Uh, as you know, there are plenty of other podcasts out there about the distillery get involved, ask a question if you wish, uh, and I'll try and answer or find out the answer if I do not know. Um, we have some great things in coming on the site shortly. Uh, I know today, we've uh, this weekend even, we've um, put up a really informative sort of distillery logbook uh, entry. So please check it out and thanks for your support and I'll see you soon.